On this week's episode of Circles Off, Rob and Johnny answer listener questions. Circa Survivor, Polish Middles, Closing Line Value, Tailing Free Picks, all of this and a whole lot more. Episode 134 of Circles Off starts now. Come on, let's go! Welcome to Circles Off, episode number 134, right here, part of the Hammer Betting Network, presented by Pinnacle Sportsbook. Happy holidays to everyone out there. I'm Rob Pizzola, joined as usual by Johnny from Betstamp. Happy holidays, everyone. Merry Christmas. Number 34, before we continue without further ado, we got the mini helmet right in front. Yes. The best player on the Maple Leafs right now, Austin The Matthews. best goal scorer in the NHL. Potentially the best goal scorer in the NHL. No. I'm standing on it. Is the best goal scorer. Active. Like t- yes. today? Today. Yes. Not all time. No, not all time. Today. Sure. You want to go today? I can I can live with that. Um, we'll, we'll throw out Shaq as well. Yep. You there, can't. There's a lot of 34s. Yeah. With, with the Austin Matthews stuff. So Alex Moretto, who's the director of content for The Hammer, he's unfortunately a Montreal Canadiens fan, a Habs fan, as we would say. And for on Christmas morning, he posts in the Edgework chat that we have at The Hammer, which includes all the Edgework hockey creators, a picture of a kid opening up a box, and it's an Austin Matthews jersey, and he's crying. Within like 10 minutes... Zach posts a picture of himself opening up a Christmas box and it's an Austin Matthews jersey and he's smiling. It was the funniest <laughs> rebuttal to it after, afterwards, but uh, th- I, I did really enjoy... That became a thing this year, like the a meme that went around of just like a kid and was constantly being photoshopped with different things, jerseys of different teams. I found that to be pretty funny, but I'd love an Austin Matthews jersey for, for Christmas. I'm a huge Matthews guy. You got any 34s, other 34s? Oh, there's there's got to be a ton in the NFL. My my favorite player growing up was Charles Barkley, and he wore 34. I was a Phoenix Sun. I don't know if you were. I'm older than you, obviously, but before the Raptors came into the league, I was a Phoenix Suns fan. No, you were. I was on. a Phoenix Suns fan. I I loved Charles Barkley, but I loved the whole team, like Dan Marley, Danny Ainge. I loved the the Suns mascot. That gorilla used to do stupid shit. He'd always come in from, like, the ceiling and stuff like that. So you were a Suns fan before the Raptors. That, that was before. The Suns were my pre-Raptors team. Then the Raptors came into the league. I became a huge uh, Damon Stoudemire, Mighty Mouse fan. Because Giannis is 34. Uh, Giannis yeah. is 34. So, yep. so, yeah, obviously Giannis. Akeem then. Olajuwon, Akeem the Dream. That story with the ball for Giannis is hilarious, by the way. Which one? How he, he got the, whatever, I forget how many points it was, maybe 60 or something, yep. just yep. above 60. And then he, uh, the other guy on the other team, Oscar Shibwe, was his first point. So he took the game ball. Oh, wow. And then Giannis like, get me the game ball. That's my game ball. And it was like a huge spat. Yeah, he chased the guy down the tunnel. Yeah. To be fair, though, like, give him the game ball. Co- well, I mean, co- com- got 60 plus points. I agree. I mean, give, give the, well, that's a tough one. Because it's like first career point against a 60 point. I mean, the first career point. First career point, sure. I get it. But it's like he didn't even start the game. He came off the bench, played a couple minutes, got that, one point. That's a tough one. call. That's a, I'd be very interested. I want to put this one in the comments down below. Who a lot of people are going to be now? like, a lot of people are going to be like, oh, yeah, Giannis, uh, or give it to the kid who's the rookie who got, who got his first game point. Okay, yes. But also, we're talking about like, potentially one of the greatest players to ever play the game if he obviously i mean he's got a long way to go yeah but he could be there yeah and then it's like 
this is his highest points. He, what if he, this is his career high in points? Context to it is also a franchise record. Franchise yeah, record. So there's a, yeah. I, I, get, I get both sides. I get it. If anyone gets 60 plus points in a game, the only way you don't get the game ball is if another guy got 60 plus points on the other team, in which case whoever won the game, they get the game ball. Yeah, it's interesting just because they use the same ball. It's like soccer, right? Like there's a game. Well, now soccer's got a lot of different balls because they have the throw-ins and stuff like that. But basketball is the unique one-off here because hockey, like you score your first career goal. Okay, you pick it up out of the net. They throw it to the, the trainer. He tape, puts a piece of tape on it. He marks it. Baseball's the same thing, right? Like some sort of you know, thing happens. You reach some sort of accolade or whatever, and they just take the ball out of play. They throw it in the dugout. This is just one. Like could they not have... They probably do have other play. balls, but yeah, they could uh, listen. It uh, is what it is. That was a funny one. You, it, 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 unrelated to anything, but because you were talking about like taking the ball, dude. I, I don't know if you caught this on Christmas Day, the Raiders Chiefs game, where there was the defensive touchdown by the Raiders. Yeah, this this Raiders player ran around in the end zone, and then he found like a a kid. I'm talking like maybe an eight year old kid, Chiefs fan, in the front row, and he went to hand him the ball. And the kid tried to grab it, and he just pulled it back. And oh, ran away. did you see though? Did you see the follow up? No, yes. I did not. Ah, uh, he tweeted. He he said what he said. What he so that guy who got the pick, yeah. the pick six, he tweeted. He said, "This is not what it seems." I pulled it back. He pulled it back because there was a guy right behind that kid, an uh. adult who was trying to snatch it from the kid. So he pulled it back, and then the camera cut. But he gave it to the kid after. Got it. I got got by you social got got. media, and everyone got got. But he got, had got. to he had to tweet it after. But um, but it's bullshit. Like look at the actual oh. clip because he takes the ball with him. Go go to his tweet. Go to his tweet. We got we got to get to the bottom of this. Something something's not right here because he hands it, pulls it back. But then he doesn't wait there and give it to him. He runs away with the ball. So wait, like, is the, that the one? Yeah, that's the. Okay, go the, go Sur search it. Jack Jones. Yeah, find him. Here, so look, he tweeted it. He goes, "I didn't snatch that ball from that kid. It was the black dude who tried to take it. Watch it again, lollipop." Okay. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Okay. I, I get that. So there's very clearly a guy behind the kid that does want to try to take But he the still ball. doesn't give it to the kid. But he still does not give it to the kid. He just runs away with it afterwards. I'm assuming there's another... Oh, that guy was trying to snatch it. Honestly, there's right nothing there. worse than that. I used to have a colleague... Zapruder Films. I used to have a colleague... I'll, th I'll throw him under the bus. I don't care. His name was Eric Cohen. I used to go to baseball games with this guy. It was actually so embarrassing how hard he would try to catch a foul ball. Like, he would run over a bunch of six-year-old kids if he had to. Just to, I'm like, dude, you're a grown-ass man. What are you going to do with a foul? I, I get it. You have a foul ball from a baseball game. But, like, you just... If I catch one, it's going right here. Yeah. On this desk. I'm, I'll be honest. I'm, I'm like, uh, I'll be like the hero at the stadium who catches one and then, like, look, turns around and... and no, I, yeah, I would probably do that as well. Yeah. I don't, I'm not going to do anything with that ball. Yeah. Right? You bringing your glove though to the game? Uh, you know what? I used to when I was a kid, but then you reach a certain age where you're like, no, I'm not bringing my glove to a game. I'm gonna have to carry around a glove the entire day. <laughs> like, how insane is this? You see people that are going to a bar afterwards with like a baseball glove in their hand. I'm like, what's wrong with you? You're 30 year old. You're 30 year old man carrying it's, around the glove. It, I I have always wanted to go to the home run derby, sit in the outfield, and bring a glove, but it is what it is. I'm a little too old for it now. Do you have any opinions on Zach Hample? Do you know that guy? No. He goes to every park and tries to catch all the foul balls and home runs and stuff, but he's got a, like, he's built up a YouTube channel 
but he like runs over kids to do no, that and like won't give the kids the ball. It, so it, it's it's kind of funny, but it's not when you think if about he's it. He's doing it for content. Yeah, then. it's kind of funny, but it's not when you think about it. The last thirty four I wanted to mention because I never liked the, I could never like this guy as a pro because he's a rival of my favorite team. But Big Poppy, David Ortiz, absolute legend. After the Boston Marathon uh, bombings that happened, when he did that speech at Fenway. I can't remember exactly what he said, but he like, he, he dropped an F-bomb on like national TV in front of the whole whole stadium. I have to find exactly what he said, but that like, I'm not even a Bostonian or anything like that, but like I actually get goosebumps and like tingle, That that's like one of the greatest sports moments of just, I don't know what he said. It's like something like you can't fuck with Boston or something along those lines. But it was pretty memorable. This it, is our fucking city. That's the one. Nobody's going to dictate our freedom. That, that like, imagine one of your favorite athletes just walking up to the mound, giving a speech. This is our fucking city. Like, how fired up you'd get. I, 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 did I, he I, get shot after his career? He did. He yes. got, like, tar- targeted. In a yeah. bar. Targeted shooting Big in, like, poppy. some uh, Mexican bar or something like that. Yeah. That's Tough. inspiring. It's inspiring. Speaking of uh, the best in the city. Best in the city, best in the province, best in the country would be Pinnacle Sportsbook. Talk about Pinnacle all the time here on Circles Off. They're a proud sponsor. But I've been betting with Pinnacle for a very long time now. And I can attest to the quality of the sportsbook. We're going to go through a Q&A in today's episode. A lot of questions we're going to get. We often give betting advice. Some stuff about line shopping. Someone is particularly not happy about the amount of line shopping talk we do on the show. But in all seriousness, if you're a sports better and you're not line shopping, you're insane. And the best way to line shop, bet multiple sports books, make Pinnacle one of those sports books. Great prices, low margins, great quality of product. If you're in Canada, use code HAMMER to sign up, H-A-M-M-E-R. It does support us here on Circles Off. Of course, you must be 19 plus, not available in the U.S. And as always, especially more so than ever around the holiday season. Please play responsibly. But Pinnacle, number one in the biz. Q&A today and for our first show of 2024 as well. So we put a message out there over the holidays of send in your questions here. We're going to do like a frequently asked questions, ask me anything, Q&A type of style of show. We got a lot. We got some as replies to our tweets. We got a bunch of Twitter DMs. We got people replying on previous YouTube videos. I got some personal DMs. We got some emails. So we actually have to break this up into two episodes so that this doesn't go on forever here. And we're gonna go with a little bit of a structure here. I know it's one of Johnny's pet peeves, but also one of mine when I listen to Q and A's that are all over the place jumping from topic to topic to topic and then going back to the same topic. We're not going to do that here on Circles Off. We're going to keep it very regimented. This is the number one betting podcast. In the nation. In the continent. In the world? In the continent? (laughs) Definitely in the continent. Um, Okay, for starters, we have a couple questions that I really couldn't fit in anywhere. Uh, into the flow. So we got a couple one-offs off the top. Number one, from Arthur Dominguez. What makes Andrew Catalan the greatest play-by-play announcer of our generation? So this one, I mean, it's a funny question. Thank you for submitting in, but I think it's just more for Rob to tell a story here. 
I don't even know exactly what happened, but let, I'll let Rob tell it. Okay, so this is definitely a joke of a question, but it does it does give an opportunity to tell a story. And if you enjoy this story, by the way, smash that like button down below, subscribe here on Circles Off. But I'm watching NFL Red Zone on the weekend, and it's on the Colts and Falcons game. And Taylor Heineke takes a little bit too long to throw a ball into the end zone, uh, but Bijan Robinson is wide open. And he catches the ball while he's standing out of bounds with nobody near him. And the commentator of the game, play-by-play guy, says something along the lines of, and I'm paraphrasing here, it's not an exact quote, but something along the lines of, uh, this one's on high, like part of the blame's got to go to Heineke here. He's got to get the ball out way earlier. Bijan's wide open. And I'm like, no. Like he threw the ball to the wide open receiver as a receiver in the end zone, you have one, well, you have two jobs. You stay in bounds and you catch the ball. There's no one near Bijan Robinson. 100% of the blame goes on Bijan Robinson. So I'm getting like a little bit, fu- as I do when I watch football, I'm getting fired up, right? I'm like, no, 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 this, I got to tweet about this. So I do a quick Google search, Falcons, Colts, commentators. And what I did not realize, because I'm partially an idiot as well, I don't pay att- close enough attention to this stuff, is that the first hit was an old hit. And it said Andrew Catalan is the play-by-play announcer, which he had previously done a Colts-Falcons game in the past. So I tweet, I'm a big Andrew Catalan fan, which, by the way, it's going to sound weird, but I'll also tell that story in a second. But there's no way that he just blamed Heineke for that incomplete pass, right? And when I said I'm a big Andrew Catalan fan, here's what I meant by it. I listened to another podcast in the betting space. We had long time ago, Lockie Lockerson, Ken Barkley on, who's part of You Better You Bet with Nick Costos. Nick Costos has also appeared on this channel on 90 Degrees. And they come in from all of their commercial breaks with an NFL clip. And they talk about the play-by-play announcers as well. I know what Andrew Catalan sounds like. I've heard his voice before. I actually think he does a good job. I just got messed up here because I was searching in real time. But to my surprise, he didn't even get community notes. No. It was way worse. I get a response from Andrew Catalan at 2.33 p.m. that says, I'm calling the Seahawks-Titans game. So notifying me that this is a completely different game, I'm going to own it. I, like, I don't care. I don't delete tweets. People make mistakes. I think you should own your mistakes, generally speaking. I put, evidently, I'm not a big enough fan. I will no longer slander your name. And that's kind of, you know, picked up a bunch of steam on Twitter for understandable reasons. But I'm thinking about this more and more as the days have gone on here. This dude tweeted me while he was, while he was doing a live game. He was doing a Seahawks-Titans game. Now, I think this was at the half. That was a 1 p.m. start. So yeah. 2.30 could have been at the half. But I didn't tag him in the original tweet. No, he did I not. Did, tag. I didn't go at Andrew Catalan. Like, either one of two things happened here. I'm hoping the first thing happened, which is somebody sent him this tweet. Probably. But there's the second scenario where he's searching his name on Twitter at halftime of a game and came across this one and felt the need to respond, which I think is hilarious to think about. I mean, at least wait till after the game. Yeah, but you got enough impressions that someone could have potentially sent it to him. Oh, that, but, that's but, what I'm thinking. But that's what the, I'm hoping. At the time, it, it, wasn't. it was nothing. 
Like at the time. To- oh, prior to him responding, like the tweet hadn't even blown up. It was just nothing. Exactly. There were there was. You like might have maybe, been searching his name. If we if we don't have like a graph of the likes and the interactions over time, but it was small to start until this response came, and then on top of that, I retweeted that response, and I think that helped. <laughs> you got ratioed hard too. Yeah, I I don't <laughs> like I actually don't even care. I, I seriously don't even care. Well, you did you did mess up, but it's okay. Yeah, it's yeah, nothing. It, it's, it, you didn't you weren't even disrespectful. Um, anyways, good story. Uh, h- hilarious. If Andrew Catalan's watching this, which, which he's probably not, but if he is, <laughs> let us know. Did you, were you searching your own name? Did someone send it to you? Like, what's the story there? I mean, we have a lot of questions to get to, but I, I actually tweeted a Merry Christmas to everyone, including my, my guy, Andrew Catalan or something like that yesterday. Dude, Matt Zalbert got like so offended that I made this tweet. And then went on this huge rant about how he's like a massive Andrew Catalan fan. I'm like, dude, this is just a joke. Like, I didn't respond to him or whatever, but he's like so upset that I would dare put Catalan in my Merry Christmas to everyone tweet. Anyways, that was my week. Um, Yeah, people are like, oh, you should delete this. I'm like, why? Well, I don't understand that either. Uh, This is very off topic, but like, I don't get that. Like, if you make a mistake in a tweet, and you delete it, it's actually so much worse. That that evidence is still there. People screen cap this stuff nowadays. You might as well just own it. Own yeah, your mistakes. M- Listen well. to everyone out there. Okay, we got a bunch of questions on the Circa Survivor fiasco here. Obviously, there was that one guy who was, um, you know, I guess be appearing to be cocky uh, on Twitter about his Survivor, saying he's the best better in the world, yada, yada. And now people are kind of victory lapping that he lost in the Broncos. We got a bunch of different questions. Some of them were in regards to what would you do? Would you chop? Would you not chop? Others were in regards to optimal strategy, hedging, things like that. Um, so I guess instead of reading out all these and answering them, it's just going to be a lot of overlap. We'll basically answer these two, which is number one, Rob, would you chop? Number two, like how would you hedge if not? So I, I've been in situations um not obviously to the extent of the prize pool of the of the circus survivor which is massive right you got four people left expected value on each of those entries is over two million right now it's a massive pot but there are situations where i've been in pools for large amounts of money survivor money six figures not seven um i typically don't reach out to people to chop because it's not my nature or style like i think it comes down to the individual but when other people reach out and they're like, hey, you know what? Let's just each of us takes, you know, 10% of the pot and we'll play for the rest. That's like my ideal scenario where you're not just giving up on everything and taking an immediate cash payout. You guarantee yourself something so that you're not extremely regretful after the fact, but you still are playing for something for the remainder of the season. Where there's complications is like there's legalities involved in like Circa, Mil- Circa Survivor and stuff like that. Um, at, at now there's only four people left. At the time where there was 11 and people were talking about a chop, it's hard to organize a chop with 11 different people, especially when one or two might not want to do it. it. It's just very, um, there's a lot that goes into it. But my personal preference is like, this is going to sound really lame, but like I'm kind of like a man of the people when it comes to this. I don't like confrontation. If people are like, want to chop, I'll be, I'll very much entertain, entertain it because, uh, I just kind of like want everybody to have 
it's lame, but like a good experience or, or like, I don't want somebody to, to go to bed at night because they lost and they, you know, they had an opportunity to chop and they, nobody was, uh, wanted to do that. You know, you kind of know what I'm getting at? Yeah, no, I do. At that amount of money with the Circus Survivor, uh, I would definitely be like, I would be interested in, uh, in splitting that out. Proper bankroll management would say you should do that right at the end of the day. Like, unless you're betting over a million dollars a game anyways, then you know, you're basically doing two weeks left. Like you're betting a million dollars a game uh, in, at a minimum here because your expected equity is just over two, two weeks left for people. So certainly you're betting over a million a game, theoretical, by just staying in the contest. And that's typically not someone's average bet size. So uh, definitely would be interested in chopping if that was the case. I like what Rob said. When there's 11 people in, I, I don't think I would have even entertained that because there's just so much different stuff. Like I don't want to be having to review and pay for my own lawyer to make sure this contract is done correctly. And then something happens like you're just taking on a little bit extra risk um, for what again. And it could be all fine and dandy. But like, what am I just going to trust that I get I got to sign some random thing on a rush notice. Or I got to get this done tonight or it's done. I don't review this. I don't really know what's going on in all these contracts. Like, how are we going to how's that going to really work unless you're sending that to your own probably gaming lawyer or contest lawyer and then making sure that that's actually verified and that's going to hold up. Last thing you want is to to chop and then one guy wins it and then he find his lawyer finds a thing, oh this contract's null and void. He keeps all the money. Like that would be absolute brutal. There's a lot of uh, I've I've seen all sorts of things. Like Spanky picked up like a lot of hate when he said no, I would I would never ever chop because if people are asking to chop you know that they're in a vulnerable position. They're not going to make the right decisions going forwards because they need that money. Fair enough. I'm not competitive enough to really care about that. There was also the one where like everybody's expected value was calculated. Yeah, people have different teams remaining as well. Of so course. You, you do have to factor that in. Sure. But it's, it's also funny that like the one guy who had the highest expected value left when there was 11, it was because he had Jacksonville left as one of the teams that he could have used. And then Trevor Lawrence... You know gets concussed and then he hurts his shoulder it's it's like i get it he, his expected value still was that high at that time but it's also like not the be all and end all so for someone to say like oh i'm not taking a deal no matter what because i have the highest expected value of the bunch i get that i understand that but also like it's football and, sh and shit changes like this yeah but that's that uh, you can't really say that because that's like the edge that's why we that's why we bet sure well. we bet for these little things we, we get a little marginal edge here you sim it a million times and it ends up coming up uh, positive yeah. for us. So that thing where it's like, oh, Trevor Lawrence went down. Yeah, for sure. Another guy could have went down on a team he didn't have. And then he would have been even higher EV. Either way. The, the, late, the late season expected value calcula calculations are flawed. I'll just go out and say that. Like I was looking through it, but you, there are so many scenarios, especially in the final week of the season where teams will just rest the entirety of their starters. And these EV calcs are built off of like what the projected yeah, spread like is. Yeah, like advanced lines, exactly. which is not actually and it's, accurate. It's not. So like good luck trying to calculate the actual true EV on those situations. But uh, for me, yeah, I would very much entertain it. And honestly, I'm not, I'm actually not that a spiteful person. But when I did see that guy, whatever his name is, Sean, but you know which guy I'm talking yeah. about. The guy who's like making an ass of himself, basically. Tweet out on Christmas Eve that I'm not chopping. I took the Broncos and I never lose. I've never wanted someone to lose more in my life <laughs> than that exact moment. Like I, I, I cannot stand the cockiness associated with that guy. 
You could, yeah, no, that's fair. I, I mean, I don't even, I don't know the guy. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna mention anything, but seems like he's trying to build a persona and a character. I don't know how well it's working. It seems like he's getting pretty negative, pretty much negative attention only. But at the same time, like, I don't, I'm not gonna be mad at him for not chopping. He didn't want to chop. He didn't want to chop. No, no, it's no, everyone's I, I choice. Agreed. But the, the, you're just the, saying it's the way he said it, and he's like, I never lose, I and nev then he lost. Like, yeah, it's tough, but. That, it that's it. it like that that was that was the only I mean he collectively figured out a way in like 20 words to make everyone hate him. Like everyone who ever came across this guy's account now instantly hates him for the choice of including and I never lose in a tweet. It would be f fine and yeah. I just never lose. Yeah, but I'm on the Broncos and I just never lose. That's the tweet. And fine if you don't want to chop you don't even have to put out why you don't want to chop. You can just say, like, I'm choosing to play for the entirety of the prize. And, but this type of stuff, anyways. There's other ways to hedge as well that are a little bit more effective than just a straight chop. Um, you could, like, I mean, what I would consider doing is, like, you, you see the circuit guys always tweeting, like, they're able to offer lines of credit against the contest. So a lot of times with the hedging, like, you know, you might not have a million dollars liquid to actually just place on a bet. Definitely, um understand that most people don't um and you're not supposed to so that's okay what circa does is they offer you to basically be able to bet on credit through the sports book in exchange for them holding the equity on your thing so if you're going to bet something that's like a direct hedge yep and then both can't lose then you know they'll take that bet so there's other ways to leverage a hedge even if you don't have to get the 11 people and like this legal contract in like what you could do is I'm, I'm a little bit more like uh, optimistic here. You're usually betting on a favorite. In fact, you should always be betting on a favorite in your actual Circa Survivor contest. So if you're betting on the favorite, so you have a seven point fave, seven and a half point fave, what you could do is also just try to bet a decent amount on the other team that they're facing uh, plus the points. So as a, as a dog, might be able to catch a middle there as well. So you might still be able to stay in the contest and catch a middle. For example, if you were on, I don't know, let's say uh, Denver, in the survivor and then new england plus the seven and a half you know had new england won by seven and a half uh, had denver sorry won by three instead of new england win by three at the end there which was probably actually should have happened yeah. um if yeah denver had the ball back to win it on a field goal they just didn't just didn't didn't capitalize but had they done that um you would actually stayed in and you know hedge off could have maybe made an extra 500k million dollars who knows so that's a probably a better more effective way to chirp that's it's a chop sorry that's actually guaranteed personally like i wouldn't be messing around with all these like legal contracts especially in a contest that big where the money's so big and people just have so much incentive to you know find a loophole or this and this and this and like unless i was actually doing it myself i wouldn't trust it that's a good point it's, it's you're, you're not reliant on your other contestants in order to hedge your entry um yeah, that's the easy way to go about it in some cases if everyone's in agreement and the, sure, but there's alternate methods as well. And uh, honestly, if I was put in this position, like even for me, I've done fairly successfully sports betting, but like $2 million plus is, is a lot of money to like to anyone. And uh, I would personally even be looking to, to hedge positions late in the year. So to each their own, uh, good questions, but um, I'm glad that guy... I'm glad Karma bit this guy who never loses. Betting strategy here. We're going to get into some betting strategy. Rob, do you know anybody who has ever successfully bet Polish middles? It seems like there would be rare situations where it would work for somebody if they did all the math correctly, but maybe not. Um, personally, 
I mean, so people will, I, I've bet a Polish middle before as of like people that I know is just like not a part of my routine where I'm pricing out every single thing and opening myself up to all this risk. Uh, I've never explored it. I've never seen someone who like exclusively makes these types of, of bets. But I mean, technically speaking, we all bet with sports books and this is like basically how a sports book operates. Yeah. So I'll, I'll answer that one. Like I know a few people that have done this successfully and still do um, mainly on like the, I call it thicker spread. So not necessarily on like a half point ones on regular lines, but more in the alt markets. And um, yeah, it can be very profitable, like 10, 15% edges, no problem on some of these. And again, it's just based on doing the math correctly. As Rob mentioned, like sports books do this all the time, right? When they move the number. So let's say Pinnacle is hanging uh, under 47 and a half. They take a better under 47 and a half. Then they're gonna move that to 47. And then they're gonna move, take a bet on the over. 47. So now Pinnacle has taken two bets. They're now on over 47 and a half. Their position, Pinnacle's position is over 47 and a half, under 47. Right. They've got those likely both at plus money and they've got a lot of other action in there mixed in, but all in, you know, they, there will be sweating that particular bet. There will be like almost a Polish middle, right? Because they're essentially saying, Hey, anything other than this, we're going to win a little bit. But if it does land 47, you know, we're going to get, uh, you know, beat up on this one position. If anyone did want to do more research on Polish middles, um, the the term Polish middle is like, I don't find it offensive. I don't know anyone who actually does, honestly, but because the term is a little bit outdated, you might want to look up inverted middles as well, where there's like a lot more literature on that going forward. So if you have trouble finding Polish middles nowadays, because nobody really wants to, to mess around in 2023 and uh, 2024 upcoming, inverted middles is something that you can search out on the internet. All right, we've got a couple CLV questions. We do all the time, um, but these ones a little bit more unique. This one from uh, Plus EV Prop Bets, the Prop Dude, EV Prop Dude. Does beating the close matter for player props? So I'll take that one here. Uh, simply put, answer is yes, very much so. Beating the close matters for every single market that you're going to play. Um, player props, contrary to what a lot of people say you'll see a lot of like these heroes on on twitter a lot of these guys who are like you know oh this guy doesn't win money because he's betting player props this guy doesn't win because he's doing this oh this guy can't pop like he's only just betting this and this and he's barely getting any money down like man player props are probably the biggest the, the fastest growing market by a mile like grow, growing wise but they're they're surpassing full games in terms of number of bets they've already far surpassed them uh, they haven't yet surpassed on volume and that's okay because of the fact that they're still a smaller market it's easier to beat than definitely the full game but already a far surpassed nfl full game so player prop bets in terms of like ticket count way way up it's like a very high multiple of like what's going to be bet on the actual game the only difference here is it's typically a lot more like recreational money that's coming into the, the player prop markets. People like to bet first touchdowns, anytime touchdowns. They like to parlay a lot. And when you do things like that, oftentimes the books will just take that, not bother moving the line. Player props also are offered mostly by the recreational books, which typically won't, you know, maybe move the line as quickly on like an auto mover, similar how to a pinnacle would. So is it important to beat the closing line? Yes. The reason why is there's still so many people who are sharp that are betting player props right now that they still are moving. So it's seldom that you're going to just see the player prop market close and be like, oh, I could have had uh, 38 edges on this thing. Like you might think you would have, but you don't. Like the, the market actually closes very efficient in the player prop market. 
Um, the one area where this might be like a little bit of a, a difference is if something happens like last second injury where, hey, this guy was supposed to play, but he actually keys out in the warmups, that will impact the player pop market a lot. And if that's the case where someone was supposed to play, they're out in the warmups, now his totals are void. And let's say this is a receiver for the NFL. So you had, I don't know, Calvin Ridley is missing in the warmups now. He was supposed to play, everything's clean, Calvin Ridley's out. Well now, okay, Zay Jones is going to get more usage, so pop him up. Uh, Chris Kirk's going to get more usage. I'm, I'm assuming like fully healthy team right now. So now it's like, okay, one and two are going to be way up. If that news dropped like seven to 15 minutes before the game, because there's no auto movers, then you might have a scenario which, you know, those numbers didn't have a chance to fully adjust and correct throughout the game. So Calvin Ridley, he's not actually going to impact the spread of the game. So if he's out, you're not going to be like, oh, Jags is now from three and a half to, you know, minus five minus, or plus four and a half because Calvin Ridley's out. It's not going to happen like that. But on the player prop market, you will see those changes. So, yes, it's important to beat the close. You should be looking to beat the close all the time. If you beat the close, you're going to win. If you don't beat the close, you're going to lose. And in general, there's certain scenarios like the one I just mentioned where it might not have the time to adjust. But if that game was on Sunday night and this news dropped on Sunday morning, then it would actually adjust, and this would be null and void. I can't add anything to that. It's not my, my market of choice. I fire a lot of darts on player props anyways, and most of the stuff that I'm looking for is, uh, is typically uh, in the, of the long shot variety due to uh, some personnel changes. Uh, for me, honestly, just, just to, to echo what Johnny said, I think beating the close matters in every way possible, even if you don't respect the closing line. And like you think closing line value is overrated, beating the closing line still matters in the sense that you're maximizing the EV of your bet. Like you're betting at a time where you're risking less to win more type of situation. So um, I'm, I'm with you in terms of just generally beating the close. Okay. Uh, up next, is beating the CLV, is beating the close enough to win? I've made 70 bets of $100 to $150, beating the CLV 90%, and I'm still down. Bad variance, or am I missing something? Thanks for these videos. I'm learning a lot more from them. Okay, so, Andrew, you are, are on the right track. So this is something I, I want to answer and I think will be extremely valuable for you. few things that are kind of a little bit learning opportunities within this tweet. Number one, for starters, okay, 70 bets only. Yeah. Is, is not enough to, to have anything there. So 70 bets, think about it this way. If you, um, you know, ha flipped a coin 70 times, like what are the chances that it's going to be 35, 35? It's actually pretty low. If you flip that coin 700 times, it'd be significantly more likely to be 350, 350. If you flipped it 7 million times, then you're going to be within, a, you know, 0.01%. Yeah. Uh, and I'm uh, sorry to cut you off. You can you can actually just do this yourself. There's some there's online a, a bunch of uh, calculators which are called binomial distribution calculators. But to Johnny's point, 70 times you know a coin flip is 50-50, assuming like a non-weighted coin. The probability you're going to get 35 out of 70 is actually only nine and a half percent that it's going to land on exactly that amount. The probability that you could get 25 out of 70, I mean, even then it's within the range of reason that like. 90, so like one and a half percent of the time, you might end up with just 25. Out of so 70. what's the probability of going like 46%? 46%? So sorry, 46 on either way. So um, 
46 out of 70 is... No, not 46 out of 70. So let's call it 39 out of 70. 38 out of 70. Use a binomial calculator. Uh, 79% one way. So 20 okay. to 21% so the other way. Roughly what I was going to say then is... Okay, the math's a little off. I don't have a spreadsheet up and everything. But what that would basically say is you're about 75% likelihood, even if you're just coin flipping, to be up or down units. Exactly. And to be up or down like a, a, uh, enough to, to seem like it matters. Uh, so yeah, 70 alone is not enough of a sample size. Anybody on, man, these guys on, I see so many suboptimal things being spread into the space right now. The one main thing that I see that's probably the worst thing is people don't understand volume and they basically will say what their record is and all this stuff. And then they're like, yeah, I'm having a good NFL season, bad NFL season. Like at the end of the day, like you have 80 bets. Like they don't understand that, that that's nothing. Like your profit that you're going to make cannot be measured in units. It needs to be measured in ROI. And the ROI times the volume is how much money you're going to make. So all of these guys that you might think are sharp on Twitter that are betting like four or five plays a week, like they're, they're literally never going to win enough money to sustain betting as a profession. It's impossible. You need to, unless they're literally moving like massive, massive amounts of, of volume on that game, like a ma massive dollar amounts, which is even worse. Like it's, it's probably not happening. So all in, you've made 70 bets and beat the close. Great. You got to make way more bets and it'll turn. Okay. Second thing in this tweet that I noticed is you're saying you've beat this, beat the close on 90% of them. So technically that is not really what you're going to want to calculate here. You're going to want to calculate how much you beat the close on each of them to calculate the true CLV. So if you say, Hey, I got a better number than close seven out of 10 times. If you got a better number than close by like 0.1%, but then the ones that you didn't get the better number than close, you, you missed it by 5% and you're still going to be down overall. Yeah. So one way that I do, especially for someone who's like just starting out, just learning, go into the BetStamp app, track all your bets there. So the way we calculate CLV on BetStamp, there's multiple ways to calculate it. Uh, really, all it is is just the percentage difference in win probability from the closing line to your line that you bet. Uh, within BetStamp, what you're going to want to do is you're going to try to target around getting like a 2% CLV. If you can get a 2% CLV, you're comfortably going to win. Um, if you are based on the way we calculated in BetStamp, getting like 0.5 CLV, then in some cases that's actually not going to be enough to overcome the VIG. So what you're going to want to do is make sure you're calculating CLV in a way where it's not necessarily how many bets beat it, but in aggregate, how did my bets end up doing on the whole portfolio? How much did I beat it by on average? And if that in the BetStamp calculation is above 2% or around 2%, you're going to be fine with the right amount of volume. And if you keep betting, and if that's under that, then you're likely not being the CLV by enough and you do more things to help win. One thing that's been really helpful for me over the years is um, obviously bet tracking. So exactly what Johnny said, but uh, I personally like to calculate an expected value on every single wager. So let's say you're betting a thousand bucks a game and it could be any amount, it could be whatever you're betting um, and it doesn't have to be the same, right? But typically speaking, you would log what you bet on the game, what your closing line value was, and then you would multiply those two to determine an expected value. And you can sum up the expected value of every single one of your bets and compare that to your actual win and loss. And it's probably a good determination of whether you're getting lucky or unlucky, which you should see over time is that your actuals and your 
expected should meet up over a long period of time. But again, we're talking about thousands of bets, not 70 or 80. So applaud you for trying to track, but maybe not tracking the right thing here. No, um, it's good though. It's good. He's, learn, he's like, actually, this is exactly what we wanted for the show. I appreciate that you're supporting us, watching the videos that Rob's putting out on how to calculate CLV, how to actually use it. Um, sorry that you've had the bad variant so far. It's going to turn. Keep it going. Send in as many questions as you need. Reach out anytime if you need any help. Appreciate you. And that was from at Andrew McCroy. Up next, anecdotally to me, lines seem to be opening up sharper this year comp compared to years past. Have professional bettors found it harder to find CLV this year? If so, why? So that's kind of a two-part question. I want to start the answer the first part quick. Okay. He says, lines seem to be opening up sharper this year. Yes. They open up sharper every single year, and even with that, every single week. So anytime the market develops, like they are in theory going to be a little bit sharper every single day that goes out, it'll be a, a little bit better. Now I'll let Rob answer the other question. Like half pros found it harder to find CLV this year. Yeah, like I, I, I honestly don't even pay attention to opening lines with the exception of the, sh the forward progress Sunday night show where I look at Pinnacle's opening lines and kind of try to predict the way that they're gonna move. If you do watch that show, I know there's people out there that do, and this is not a plug. You don't have to watch it or anything like that. But you would notice that I do have a, a knack for not even running my numbers yet and being able to somewhat accurately predict which way numbers are going to go on specific games. Um, my CLV is not lower this year than it has been in past years. In fact, it's a little bit higher this season, but not enough to make a difference. Uh, part of the reason why you can find good CLV is that there's still a lot of injuries that happen. There's still a lot of news over the course of the week. The market is very active early in the week. You have uh, Right Angle Sports releasing earlier in the week. You have Hitman. You have many, many more people that have market influence in some capacity as well. So overall, you put all these things together. And if you just look at NFL spreads over the course of the week, you'll notice stuff is moving pretty regularly. If stuff is moving, you can find CLV. Uh, so personally... As time has gone on, I found less bets. That's the truth. Volume has reduced. But the bets that I do make, I find that I'm still beating the close by the amounts that I that I have for years. Okay. Understood there. Makes a lot of sense that Rob would be finding less bets as the season goes on. Um, because, as mentioned, like they're just getting sharper. More people are betting into it. Bookmakers have more time to adjust. Teams have less variance in week 17 then we will actually forget about the injuries but week 14 gonna be a lot less variance than week one nfl there, there's gonna be outliers always like we had a COVID year right where literally there was teams where like 15 players wouldn't play and the spread would move in the game from minus three to minus 13 and you didn't know if they're canceling the game or not right like there, so those years yeah you're gonna have matt you could get massive clv in those years if you have access to information you're first to bet and whatever like forget about that but relatively speaking the non-covid years in the nfl you still get the same stuff. You get quarterback injuries, you get wide receiver, you get stuff that impacts a spread. And it's not like teams have gotten healthier all of a sudden over the years, there's less injuries, it's still the same amount as ever. So that matters. And also because there's so much market activity and so much early week betting, and not only is there early week betting, uh, just from my experience, and this is NFL related, but I think it actually does apply to other sports just in a smaller sample. Um, typically you're getting a lot of what I would call over moves on stuff where uh, a service will release a play at a certain number and no one really knows what that number is good to 
So it just keeps getting bent yeah. and goes further and further out. And oftentimes I find that, you know, if you were to play back at the peak, you could be very successful in doing that. So CLV still exists, still very, I don't wanna say easy to find, but um, certainly it, it's, it's not getting any harder to obtain CLV. Okay, uh, up next, second last question in regards to this. We get this one every time. Well, I'll breeze by it quick, Rob. It's, does CLV matter indicate less success in certain sports versus others? For example, CLV and USC, UFC less indicative of success versus NFL sides, et cetera. So uh, as we mentioned, we'll, we'll just answer this so it can be on the record here. But uh, yes, CLV matters more in the sports where there's higher volume and higher liquidity, higher bet limits, no doubt. However, UFC has pretty big limits. You can get down a lot of money in UFC. So the CLV in UFC is nearly equally value to the CLV in a lot of the other sports. Um, percentage wise, like, yes, it's, it is definitely going to be sharper in NFL, but just to let you guys know, if we're really taking like a practical approach to this question for the majority of people listening, like it's the same thing. Don't, yeah. don't think it's easier to beat UFC than it is NFL. When we say small markets, we're not talking about the ones where you can free, where you can freely bet a hundred thousand dollars. We're talking about the ones where you can get down like legitimately $300 on a bet. This came from someone who uh, added at the end of their question, I'm finding I'm beating CF CLV by a lot on some bowl games and losing my shirt. Yeah, Again. that's just that's just the bad variance. Like everyone's getting torched on the bowl games this year. It is what it is. It's not going to last. It It's, I mean, part of me always worries that like, damn, somebody found out ways to get down an incredible amount and they're like, neg they're just like manipulating the CLV. Yes. But it, it wouldn't even be an, that good of a run like this. Like CLV is just getting torched in the bowl games. It's actually just pure variance. It is what it is. Keep betting, keep getting CLV, you'll win money long-term. Yeah, it's, it's exactly, it's a small sample size. Like obviously it's frustrating. I get these questions and they a lot of them stem from frustration, right? Like this, this question stems from frustration. I'm beating bowl games by like X a lot. And I, I'm struggling. Well, I mean, take a step back. Like, would you make these bets all over again? Of course you would. Like, if you knew that you could bet a minus three, that's going to close minus seven. Yeah, just and a half. middle them. Like, if you're so worried, literally play back to close, middle them, and just try to hit a middle or an, an, a scalp. Bingo. Call it a day. Um, up next, I started tailing a lot of picks. This is from uh, Filthy Phil. Zach, is that you? Zach, you look like a Filthy no, Phil. Do not Filthy do that to Flow. Me. No. I, I'll say this there's a shop, it's called Filthy Phil's. Filthy Phillies, it's a cheesesteak shop. Mm. When I was playing junior lacrosse, I tried to get them to sponsor me on my jersey. And then they said no, because the team I was playing for was too far away. <laughs> <laughs> Filthy Phillies, yeah, that is a, it's a chain. There's a couple, I think, here yeah. now. They might open up some more locations. So I started, uh, so Zach here started tailing <laughs> a lot of picks from NFL cappers, and they aren't doing too well. Still early. Hey, man. <laughs> but what is the easiest way to tell if someone's going to win in the long run? All right, shocker. Filthy Phil. The easiest way to tell if someone's going to win in the long run is, are they beating the closing line, right? If you simply put, for a lot of people listening that don't even know what that is or just trying to learn, if you see a capper post a line, okay, and then you go to bet that line on your, on your book and you can get a better line than that, then they're probably not going to win. If they've, sorry, not right away, like after like a day, for example, if, they, if their line is still available in the market, that's probably a bad sign. That is the main way. If I can give one way of if someone's going to win or not, that's the way. Well, I, I, I somewhat disagree. I, like if your capper posts a play and that line is available for you to bet, 
I don't think that's necessarily no, a not bad at the time, not at the time. Right. I'm if saying it's like available at, at game day. No, then, not even at game day. Like if they post the play in the morning, yep. and they're like, hey, bet, bet on uh, Memphis Grizzlies minus two, yeah. okay, and you bet it on Memphis Grizzlies minus two, and then you check back three hours, four hours, five hours later, and the line is still Memphis Grizzlies minus two, or even worse, minus one and a half. Yeah. It's probably a bad sign. That's Agreed. the one thing I'd look for. Yeah, so like for, for me, it's not so much about if, if it's in a couple hours the same line or not. It's just whether or not it closed better or worse. The challenge that people have is, and I want to be very, um, I want to make sure that I get this across because a lot of people will, will go and now more people than ever, I think are in tune with what closing line value is. And they're like, okay, I know this guy's beating the close or he's not. The issue when you're tailing a lot of picks from NFL cappers, I don't know whether this is on Twitter or you're buying picks or whatever you're doing, is that sadly, there's another step to verify that they've given you a pick that actually existed. Because what a lot of people do is they will release or post numbers that frankly don't exist anywhere at the time that they've posted. So now it looks like, oh, this guy posted, I'm taking Eagles minus three, and I go to bed and it's Eagles minus three and a half. They're doing good. They're getting closing line value. Well, guess what? By the time they posted that Eagles minus three, it never existed anywhere. So there's like an added layer of due diligence that you have to do. But the answer, I mean, we don't, don't take it from me and Johnny. Like we did an episode a couple months ago with a shitty sports book trader. <laughs> Ship the justice, shipper, where he basically came on and it said and and told everyone exactly how sports books profile betters, especially recreational books. And they're looking for people who beat the closing line. If a sports book is looking to limit betters who are consistently beating the closing line, that should set off alarm bells in your head, a light bulb that says, hey, maybe I should be trying to beat the closing line in the long run. Not because you want to get limited, but because sports books are scared of people who can do this. So, yeah, the easiest way to tell if someone's going to win, are they beating close? Also, though, make sure that they're not, you know, pulling one a quick one on you and giving you lines that have already moved because someone else steamed it, right? This is the classic move. This is the, the, the animals move for, year, for years. The no fucking around crew or whatever the hell it was called. The, the Twitter records that were through the roof that they're posting lines that don't exist. So you got to be careful of that. Okay, so uh, we had an, another question here, which is right along the line. I'm going to reword this question, so I think it'll be a lot more valuable. Um, but basically, somebody is just asking if they should try to bet dumb stuff in their accounts to keep it alive longer, or if they should just go in right away and play any non-major market big edges from the start and just try to win as much money as possible. The question will be a lot like, don't even worry about putting it on Zach. It'll make a lot more sense to listeners if we just frame it like that. Um, and then the answer, in my opinion, is straight up. It really depends on like how big your edge is on the small market stuff. And it depends on how much, how much coin are you really looking to make? What's your bankroll at? Like each individual person, this will be different for. So if you've got your bankroll is between zero and $10,000, then like absolutely you should just be like playing the edges right away and just trying to mix it. You don't, you can't really, this is not meant to be offensive or anything like that, but you can't actually afford to be placing those losing bets. 
to be placing those negative EV bets. You got to win as much as you can now and grow that up because having that higher bankroll for you to redeploy later is going to make you way, way more money than whatever that account was going to be at. So that's my main thing is it's dependent by person. You know, that's really it. I totally agree. Uh, These questions, while they are great in in terms of, um, you know, we we would love, we'd love to give everyone the answers. You know, it's the same people who message me all the time of like, should I hedge this bet? It's like, well, there's a mathematical answer, but there does not apply to every single person. Circumstances are different. So without knowing more about who you are as a better, it's really impossible to answer. I think for the majority of the population, you're better off just playing your edges. That's, that's my personal opinion. If you all, and if you're listening to this and in your head, you already have an answer, you're not the person I'm worried about. You're probably better off trying to prolong the account for as much as, as possible. But for most people out there, if you feel you have an edge, play it. Because one, and again, it's not disrespectful, I'm just speaking with honesty here, but to Johnny's point, you're probably not betting big enough where you need to worry about, you know, priming the account, so to speak. And two, you don't really know when these edges are gonna go away oftentimes, right? Lots of people reach out, I found this, I found this mispriced correlation in this same game parlay. Should I bleed it out over time? It's like, well, if you found it, I'm guessing someone else found it as well. And someone else found it. And this is not gonna exist forever. So just just bet it. Just bang it. And what you're gonna do is smash that edge. And what you're also gonna do is then go to the YouTube channel and smash that like button. Look at this information we're giving out here. One of the best sports betting podcasts in the nation, in the continent, the globally. Best. The best sports betting podcast in the nation. We're giving out so much good info. We're always open. DMs are open. We're answering all your questions, providing the value. All we ask when it turns out you absolutely obliterate that like button um, for this holiday season. Up next, Tommy Stanton, Tommy Two Gloves, at Tommy Two Gloves. Merry Christmas, boys. What are your thoughts on limiting yourself to maybe one or two plays a day instead of overextending? I find it can be easier to cut out the crap if you're dwindling down your card. Mr. Pizzola. Okay, so this actually depends on whether or not you're a winning better or a losing better. So I have this conversation pretty regularly with a, f- a friend of mine, friend of the program, Jim Viviano, who always messages me and says like, I got so many edges on these props. Uh, should I be scaling down? It's like, no. If you, have, if you have legitimate edges on all of these things, then you should bet them. Especially the high ones. Like, you know, don't, don't pick an arbitrary cutoff point that's like, oh, I'm only going to bet edges that are 15% or higher and everything below that is going to go... That, this is the quickest way to grow a bankroll is betting as many edges, getting as, many, as much volume. The problem is you actually need to be able to substantiate that you have an edge. And this is where this all, like you search general uh, sports betting topics and stuff like that. How should I bet? Most of the, the hits you're going to get on Google, even on YouTube, are going to be like, ah, you know, pl- limit your bets. Play only the good stuff, two or three bets a day. Don't go more than that. There should not be an arbitrary cutoff point. But understand that if you do not have an edge in sports betting, and you have to be real with yourself here, if you're a long-term loser, you're not getting closing line value. The more you are betting, the more volume you're betting, the quicker you're going to go bust, the quicker you're going to lose your money. Because each single bet has negative expected value or not each single one, but for the most part, your bets have negative expected value. You're just gonna be losing money to the sports book. It's no different than someone who goes and plays at a, a roulette table, right? A roulette table that has no 
issues with the wheel, nothing going on there. The person who sits down and bets twice is way more likely to win in the long run or not lose than the person who sits down for a thousand spins because you're just compounding your negative expected value. So it depends on whether or not you're a winner or loser. You have to be real with yourself. If you lose, it's probably because you're betting too much volume without an edge. For, so maybe you want to scale back for that reason. But if you're a winner, bet this stuff. Find as many spots to bet as you can. If you're getting good CLV on everything and you're holding back plays because you want to limit yourself to one, two, three bets a day, to me, that's a, a huge mistake. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. I won't even add anything to that. That's the correct answer there. Um, okay. Okay. couple more and, uh, and that'll be it for the episode here today. So Rob, oh, this is a good one actually. Oh, really? Sundown studios 2.075. I think this might've been a YouTube comment in regards to reverse line movement. Okay. What is the, what if the money percentage is higher than the public money percentage? Like 65% public, 35% money versus 65% public, 70% money. I hate, I, I'll answer this question. You got it. I hate this talk. I'll answer it because it's asked and it deserves an answer, right? I'm not a believer in reverse line movement. Um, generally speaking, I don't care about what the public bet percentage is, the number of tickets, the number of money. It doesn't matter to me because again, what is your goal as a sports better? Your goal is to win. What's the best indicator of success? Closing line value. So if you're betting using reverse line movement, the public is on this, the money's here, the line has moved in this direction, you're hurting your ability to beat the close, right? If a line moves and you're betting it after it's moved because of the way that you're interpreting the public bet percentages and whatever, you're not getting closing line value. That defeats the purpose. On top of this, these sites that are showing public bet percentages, they're usually nine times out of 10, if not more, partnered with domestic sports books that cater to recreational bettors. What good is it for you to know the percentage of money that people are betting into a recreational sports book that limits their players? Like, how is that of value to you whatsoever? You have no idea. It could be one VIP bet that makes up the percentage of money. That's not a sharp bet. None of this, none of this info is practical. You don't have enough detail to be able to dissect it and find anything meaningful from it. So I don't care about what, what if the money percentage is higher than the public percentage. I get that. It's like the public is the majority of the people are on this side, but most of the money is on this side. What, what is that money? It's just from public betters anyways. But at what price also? Not like at what? The, the, the biggest thing I can try to get across to people, and I've, I've explained this a million times, I think I did it with actual cash in my pocket before with you. I think I have cash in my pocket, but we don't, we don't need to go down the cash example again. But it's, it's this simple, okay? If I'm betting into, you're wearing a Pinnacle hat, if I'm gonna go bet into Pinnacle Sportsbook and I'm gonna bet an NFL side, you know what? I'm gonna get better than minus 110 because they serve better than minus 110. I might get minus 105 on my side. But either way, I'm gonna put down 105 bucks to win 100. The sports book now has a bet at plus 105. I've bet at minus 105. Sportsbook bets at plus 105. 
Everyone wants to get on the same side as a sports book. Ah, I want to be on the same side as a sports book. Guess what? The sports book, their side is plus 105. You want to be on the same side, you have to pay VIG. You have to pay minus 110 somewhere else, minus 105. It's not the same bet. It's very, very different. These are, these are margins that matter when it comes to sports betting. So yes, like Vegas wasn't built overnight. These <laughs> sports books all make money. They do. God, man, I'm looking at that board behind Zach right now, but I have to say it. I consulted for sports books before. <laughs> I know how this works. I have a generally a good idea of how this works. I know what the hold percentages are for certain bet types. God, we have to erase that again. Oh, wait. No, it's just zero. It's there. It was yeah. a zero, right? I'm just going to leave it blank. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I might as well yeah. not even write the zero. Yeah. It might just be blank for a while. But generally speaking, on straight bets, especially, the sports books don't hold a ton. It's when you start getting into parlays, teasers, same game parlays, all these other bet types where their whole percentage goes through the roof. So the, this is just outdated. And the reality is, and what's very, very hard about this space, and now I'm just like going on and on, but I swear I'll stop in one second. We, me and Johnny are just getting dragged. Like, why would I listen to these guys? They have less subscribers than Simon does and whatever. And it's, at first, it's very easy to get upset, but then you take a step back and you're like, all this stuff is just being constantly driven home by other content creators out there. Why does this stuff get driven home? Because 98, 99% of people lose at sports betting. It's just the reality of life. So many people lose at sports betting. They're not willing to admit it. They're not willing to change their strategy and figure out that, oh, all these things that are being told to me about the public bet percentages are not working. They just assume that because so many people are saying it, that it has to be correct and it's not. And you can believe me, you cannot believe me. At the end of the day, it's your money. You bet however the hell you wanna bet. I'm just giving you my opinion based off of my experience in the space, both on one side of the counter, I guess you could say, and on the other. But this stuff doesn't matter. It really doesn't. It's not apples to apples. You wanna be on the same side of the sports book, fine. Find somebody that's gonna bet into you. I don't want to actually say that. Like, I'm not encouraging you to do illegal booking, but that, that would be the way to be on the same side of the sports book. Because at that way, people are betting coin flips. You're getting plus 110. That's very different than you having to bet minus 110. All right. Rob, we got three questions here on uh, all in regards to sports betting exchanges. And, uh, you know, we're not really going to get into the exchange model, whether we think it's going to work, whatever. Like, listen, this boring shit. We want to talk about betting advice. We want to talk about actual betting. Um, but there are a couple good questions came in on like sports betting exchange liquidity and like, would you actually sign up and use a betting exchange? And, um, I went over a little bit about this last couple of weeks, but certainly yes. So if there's a betting exchange that's available to you that you can sign up for deposit in play at, you got to take a look first. Like, don't just be blindly giving your money to anyone. Betting exchanges, typically they're not going to have like the prop markets. It's going to be the straight wagers and things like that. Maybe first half straight game, uh, total spreads, money lines. But if they're offering in some cases better prices than you can get elsewhere, then why would you not sign up there? Um, obviously with the caveat being as long as you thought it was reputable and they were going to pay you out and there was no risk there, then you should be signing up and trying to take advantage of uh, getting better prices. The, there's really no, there's no scenario in which you would want to be betting something at a worse price 
at a book that's like not necessarily going to limit you or an exchange model type site. So if you have those available to you, I would actually strongly recommend opening up as many outs as you can and also not just exchanges, any other sites as well. As long as you've done your due diligence, you reach out to people, say, hey, is this a good book? Have you played there? Are they going to stiff me? Are they going to do this? Are they going to do this? Like, how are they in terms of reputation? And then also take a look at, you know, just go through the bets you're doing. If you're betting NFL totals, make sure you take a gander at the site beforehand. Yeah. Like, do they offer the NFL totals? Like, that's something you're going to want to do in exchange in, in exchange because they're definitely, you know, really thin on the markets. But super worthwhile. There's a couple regulated ones now that have popped up. There's the STX exchange in um, Ontario. in Ontario. There's Profit. There's Sport Trade in New Jersey, and there's a few others that operate, um, you know, within the Canadian market globally. There's multiple in, in Europe and things like that. So just take a look, depending on where you are, and see what you can get. Yeah, we we practice what we preach here on Circles Off, and and I'm a a big believer in just trying to get the best prices wherever possible. So I'm, I'm perfectly fine with that from an exchange point of view. Just two things I would recommend that you be very weary of with exchanges. One, there are times where um, there are hidden fees. You gotta be very careful with that stuff. Good point, good point. So like, it might seem like you're not paying big on individual bets, but in reality you are through other ways, whether that's deposit, withdrawal, the number of transactions you post, whatever. But you have to, you have to look through the fee structure of the site. Second thing, if you're new to exchanges, I would highly recommend not seeding the exchange. Uh, and I'm not saying like being a market maker where you're, you're, you're providing them with a ton of liquidity. But as soon as you post a bet, that bet is live for someone else to take. So you don't want to get picked off on injury news is basically what it comes down to, right? Like you don't want to have a bet up and then all of a sudden Kawhi Leonard is out and someone's quicker to take your bet than you to take it down. So I would generally say if you're not experienced, you're not tech savvy, you don't want to be the person who's posting a ton of bets every day. Like I don't want to, you know, if you're going to go and you're a teacher and you're going to be in school all day and at 8 8 a.m. in the morning, you're going to put in all the bets that you want in exchange. There's a chance you're going to come back from school that day and uh, the prices that are not favorable to you anymore are all going to be picked off. So just be smart about that as well. But overall, they are valuable. And uh, I think diversifying your portfolio, getting the best prices wherever you can, every better should be trying to do that. Good advice, Rob. One last question for today. Um, and reminded everyone there will be another Q and a next week as well, where we get into, you know, this was more betting strategy. We're going to get into, you know, some of the business aspects of betting, some other strategy, and then, you know, some personal questions about the podcast, about maybe Rob's betting, things like that. So stay tuned for next week. If your question didn't get answered, it's highly likely in that batch for next week. Last question for today, Rob would love to hear your thoughts on round Robin betting. So I, I, I guess I'll start actually. Round Robins, for those who don't know what it is, it's basically just a combination of different parlays. So it's parlays within a parlay. You do every combination. If you do a 5X round robin, then it'll round robin every single combination of those five plays and you can choose by 2X parlay, 3X parlay, 4X, 5X parlay, et cetera. Um, mainly, I used to think round robins were good. Now I actually think they're kind of bad. Um, no one really bets these in the recreational space. And you know, speaking... One of my co-hosts here, he's consulted for multiple sports books in the past. I think a, red, a round robin um, at any you know amount of limit 
would would actually draw some major flags in the books. We've talked to a few people that have actually given that info, so we're happy to pass that on to you guys. I think uh, you know, round robin is probably a net negative as opposed to a net positive. It is a convenient way though to get money down if you have three plays. You just want to click it and it'll get more down for you in one click. But don't be lazy. Just play them straight. Manually do your thing. It's probably going to draw some flags. Yeah, when we had uh, fifty Kelly or uh, Cat one two three four five four uh, on last week. Uh, he did talk about doing some round robins as well, especially if you have a lot of edges at one time. Um, basically, what you're doing is you're kind of like inc- increase. It's it's one way that you can get a bunch of good bets in together in parlay form, increase the payout. Like people think generally parlays are always bad. And that's, again, misinformation that's out there. The vast majority of people who play parlays, uh, it's a bad idea because you already don't have an edge and now you're you're putting all these bets together. It's going to make it you know, even harder for you to win in the long run. But if you do have an edge in all these individual legs, or even just some of the legs, if you do your math properly, it can be advantageous. But people used to use round robins to try to get around limiting at sports books and profiling. And all the information that we've gathered and gleaned from people who are on this show, from industry reps that we talk to pretty regularly over the course of the last one to two years, basically tell us that that's not really a viable strategy. There are closing line value reports on parlays. Uh, to Johnny's point, some sportsbooks will say, actually, uh, if you do round robin parlay, we're more likely to profile you because this is not a recreational bet type that we typically see at like our What guy book. do you know that's recreationally betting that's tossing in a round robin? Like, it, think about it. I, when, we, when I was younger, honestly, it, that was my core friends. Core friends. But I think the, the dynamics of betting have changed a lot now. And people gravitate more towards same game parlays now, where that leaves round robins as more of an outlier. So I, I think at one point in time, it made sense. Like uh, when I was in my late teens, I mean, this, I, I'm honest here with people. I, I set like a six or seven round. Yeah, but robin. that's because that's all your book would offer also. No, no. It, like it for, the big, sp- for the big payout ones, like sure. a PPH. Like Good they're point. not offering like massive same game parlays. They're not offering like exactly. parlays on player props. It was just, that was the only way to really get big payouts. Exactly. And, and as with anything, betting patterns and habits change over time. Um, so what are my thoughts? If you have an edge on all the, the legs, which is, I mean, it can happen. Go for it. But generally speaking, I'm not someone that you will see uh, round robining things all too often. There you go. All right. With that being said, we're closing off this week's episode. This has been episode 134 of the Circles Off podcast here on the Hammer Betting Network. Please absolutely smash that like button. Subscribe. We'll be back next week with another Q&A. See everyone soon.